We all wanna be happier, but how do we get there? First, we start by realizing happiness is not a destination. Being happy consists of micro action steps every single day. I'm your host, Brittany King, and I'm here to guide you along the way. Welcome back to the Positively Real podcast. I am your host and your coach, Brittany King, and I have a fellow host and coach with me on the podcast today. Welcome to the show, Veronica Grant. I'm so glad that you're here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here as well. I mean, having these conversations, I'm just so grateful that the podcast is, oh, it's just been such an amazing connector with other like-minded people doing this work. And I realized before I was doing this work, I wanted to have these conversations with my friends and they didn't want to have these conversations with me. <laughs> I brought up inner child work. They'd be like, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Being able to do this on the show and, and people in the community that also want to do this work with us is just so amazing. So thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Why don't you just start by introducing who you are, who you help, and then we'll dive into it. Yeah. My, so my name is Veronica and I am, I guess, officially a love and life coach. Um, and I help women who struggle with finding themselves in the same either dating or relationship pattern over and over again. I help them get to the root of why that pattern might be there. And then um, through various strategies, a big one being inner child work, help them to um you know, shift that pattern. Uh, cause a lot of times we can find ourselves, you know, like, oh, well next time I won't ignore those red flags or next time, you know, I'll leave earlier or do this or do that. And it sounds really good. And it certainly sounds like super self-empowering, but the truth is, is that that's just not really how the mind works all the time. And so we have to kind of approach it from, you know, the back door, so to speak, so that we can, um, you know, actually change things and shift things rather than say we want to. Mm, I am just so excited to have this conversation because then I'll be very vulnerable and share my experience. But that was me before I found my partner, my husband, Brian, I was doing that. I was mm -hmm. in the same cycle of <laughs> dating in the similar pattern and then blowing everything up and self-sabotaging. Yeah. So yeah. this work is so important. And, you know, before I got in, it really led me into personal development work. Cause I knew that if I stayed in this pattern, I would end up alone. Um, but it's really hard to get out of it. So what you're yeah. doing is incredibly important. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that it's hard to get out of it because it, it is hard. I think a lot of times what keeps women stuck is when like, they think to themselves, they look around like, well, everyone else can do it. Like what's wrong with me or this, this, this cycle of shame or embarrassment. And, um, all of those things can just keep you even more stuck, um, or even, or just get stucker <laughs> in the same pattern. So I think, um, you know, just to preface this conversation, like, obviously this comes with like no judgment, like everyone's been there, not, maybe not everyone, but I know I have, and you said you were so, um, I think that when you can just accept 
and then this is easier said than done, but accept like, okay, this is the path I've been on for whatever reason. And this is where I'm beginning now. This is my new point A and I'm going to, you know, do whatever I can to shift it, get to the point B or whatever it is. Um, but as much as possible, shame and judgment free, because you can do like, you can follow like every single tip or exercise that I share in this episode or like any other piece of content that you consume. But if you still continue to beat yourself up or like, why do I do this? Or why can't I do that? Then implementing all those other good things are only going to have only going to take you so far. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you start with that because there, for me, I had so much shame around my dating and even getting into a really healthy relationship, breaking the pattern, I still carried a lot of shame from the dating that I did and the thing, the behaviors that I had and the self-sabotaging behavior, which at the time I didn't know was my inner child. It was a little girl inside me that was like crying for help, crying for attention. And I wasn't paying attention to her. I was ignoring her. So you have a method called deep work, deep love. And it unravels childhood issues to break the pattern of toxic and unhealthy relationships. So tell me a little bit about this method and how you use this to help heal those patterns. Yeah. So inner child work is both the thing that isn't everything that I do, but then also the, the, the groundwork. Um, so it's the first place I start all of my clients and essentially what it is, is just asking these curiosity questions like, huh, I wonder why I think that, or huh, I wonder why I feel like I need to get this person to like me in order to feel good enough, or huh, who does this person remind me of, or what does this situation or this feeling remind me of? And it's just being curious. It's not from a perspective of like, invoking the inner critic or, you know, like, oh, well, we did this wrong. We did this right. It's just, it's just curiosity provoking like, huh? Okay. Yeah. This kind of reminds me of my relationship with my mom, or this person kind of reminds me of my dad, or this person kind of reminds me of the dynamic that was in my house or whatever. And then from there, you can begin to connect dots of why you believe what you believe or why you do what you do or why you feel what you feel. And then from there, when you're connecting dots, you're going back to very specific either memories or you're just going back to, this just brings me back for whatever reason I was seven years old, right? And it may not be attached to one specific memory, Um, but then you start working with either that specific memory, that version of you in that memory, or just whatever age comes to, to mind. And you start filling in the gaps and the pieces of what she needed during that time that she didn't get. So we all need to feel love, safety, and belonging as human beings. And so, and no matter how wonderful your childhood was, there are going to be moments when you didn't feel love, safety, or belonging. Now, if you had a lot of trauma in your childhood, you know this very well. Um, But even if your childhood was like, it was fine. Like we had food on the table. My parents weren't abusive. It was fine. There were still moments where you as a human just didn't feel love, safety, and belonging. And so you would do things in order to compensate for that, right? So let's say, um, you know, so I'll just give an example from my own childhood. Like my, my mom was always like very, very thin and always, always talking about losing weight and needing to lose weight and how many calories she's had that day or whatever. And so that really bumped up against my ability to feel like, well, 
do do I belong? Like, am I that skinny? Is do I have the same body type as her? So this brought up feelings of feeling loved, belonging, and of course safety because you know if I'm feeling self conscious, I don't really feel safe in my body or hanging out with friends or or whatever, right? And so I started creating some strategies and some beliefs that oh, I just need to get you know to this size or lose a little weight or eat like this. And then I'll look a certain way and then I'll feel a certain way. Right. So that was a big part of my story. Um, but that's where we really begin with deep work, deep love. So clearly, you know, 10 year old Veronica needed some different kind of parenting and I'm not criticizing my mom. She was doing the best she could. This is very much how her mom um, talked to both her and also me, to be quite honest, um, you know, for a lot of our childhoods. And so, um, but when you can start reparenting yourself, then it helps you mitigate the need to get that love, safety, or belonging from somebody else in an unhealthy way. Um, because, you know, just again, going back to my example, I had this like void thinking like I just needed to have something or look something, look a different way in order to feel good enough, in order to feel loved. And so sometimes that might be the size of my body. Sometimes that might be having someone like me back. And so they very much were interchangeable throughout my entire life until I decided to like do something about it. So I could, um, you know, so I could shift it. Mm -hmm. So that's largely where I began. There's some other things we do after that, mostly more with like X's. Um, but I, I'll just pause there because I know I just dumped a lot of information. No, that, I mean, <laughs> I think that that is such a, it's a, it's the most important place to start. And something yeah. that came up for me as you were talking is what, so inner child and inner critic, what's the difference? So they can be, they're can, like, if you think of a Venn diagram, they can be like a, like a crossover. Yeah. Your inner child, I don't really think of your inner child as like just this one thing, right? Because like, you can be talking to your five-year-old inner child, or you could be talking to like your 15-year-old inner child. Mm -hmm. um, and those are going to be two different versions of you. Perhaps like your five-year-old inner child still had this innocence about her. Maybe not, um, but maybe, and then maybe by the time you're you're 15 she had already been really hurt by other people or just life or whatever and so could have more of just like that you know you know screw everything kind of mentality um so you know so yeah I don't think of your inner child as just like one one part of you mm -hmm. um your inner critic you know this is a really good question I like to think of ourselves as like different parts of us. So we have the part of us that, you know, tends to be more perfectionist, the part of us that tends to be really critical. And I'm not saying everyone has these parts. We all have different parts of our different parts flavors of, of it. Yeah. Different flavors. Exactly. Um, so your inner critic though, can be tied to your inner child. Um, because your inner, I think what's important to know about like your inner critic is that your inner critic is not there or she's not out there to get you. <laughs> she's not there to make you feel like crap all the time. She's on your team. I, just, her delivery is off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's exactly, that's exactly the, the way to, to put it. Your inner critic is trying to keep you safe. 
And when you think about what the inner child does, again, the inner child will come up with strategies to compensate for not feeling love, safety, or belonging. Mm -hmm. So for example, like I looked for sources outside of me to feel good enough, right? Like, oh, I needed to lose much weight, or I need to get this guy to like me, or I needed to be in the end group at school or whatever. Um, And so these were strategies that I developed to feel good enough, right? And so the inner critic is really similar in that she might say, oh, well, you can't get that job. Like, don't apply. Or that person's not going to like you back. Like, don't even reach out. Like, swipe left. Just move on, you know? Mm -hmm. And again, that can feel really bad and degrading to talk like that to yourself all the time. But she's just trying to keep you safe. And so one way to work with your inner child, or excuse me, your inner critic, is actually to put an age on it. Like, okay, this language or this fear that she has does it sound familiar like a lot of times your inner critic is like another version of your mom <laughs> not all the time obviously depending on the relationship like, and who the mom it's was it's fascinating or. that you say that because you can almost hear the voice like when you yeah. hear the inner critic it's almost in the same tone that you heard it yeah. from your parents or your mom and yeah it's fascinating yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So your inner child can, de- or excuse me, your inner critic, I keep getting the two mixed up. The inner critic still definitely can be like a version of the inner child, especially like the snarky teenager version <laughs> of uh, you, but it could also just be with mom. her right now, or- dealing with that snarky teenager <laughs> in this moment in time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But also your inner critic could just be like the intense messaging we get, like every person, you know, on earth gets, but especially like from, uh, you know, like a patriarchal perspective, a lot of women pick up messaging around like, you know, gotta do this, can't do that, gotta look like this, gotta, you know, yeah. be like this or whatever. So it can also just be like social programming that you've internalized. So it can be anything, but it can be a version of the inner child. Mm, yeah. It's, I mean, as you're saying it, it makes so much sense. Like inner, the inner critic is trying to protect the inner child. And then you're sitting in your adult brain that like knows everything's all good. You've got things under control, <laughs> but that voice yeah. often gets so drowned out by the internal battle that it's happening. And and we're talking yeah. about this from a place of awareness and consciousness, but if yeah. you don't have the awareness, if you don't understand these concepts or have the tools or have been doing this type of work, what is it like? You know, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm so far out of it that I, I have yeah. forgotten what it was like to just go, just accepting everything as it was. So when you're working with a client that comes to you and they don't realize any of this is actually happening, they just think something's wrong with them and that they are undateable and no one is ever going to want to be with them. How do you walk them through that? Well, to be quite honest, a lot of people listen to my podcast for quite some time before they're like, oh, I get it. I'm ready to do this. Okay. So they, the content because it's podcast. Yeah. Cause it does sound so weird. It's like, why does this random thing that happened when I was eight years old affect me now? And I'm like in my thirties or forties, if not older. So like, like on the surface, it doesn't make sense, but it actually, there's I mean, well, spiritually, I think it definitely makes sense, but even like, you know, looking at it scientifically, like the research is there as well. So like, it's definitely a thing. Um, and you can approach it in which, from whichever angle you want. Um, but I think it's sometimes just like, and it sounds, and to be frank, like inner child work, and I've been doing this for a long time. So I have no problem saying this. It feels a little weird. You're just talking to yourself basically you're talking or like you're talking to like a different version of yourself and 
um for me like i'm i'm like so capricorn i have so much capricorn on my chart so i'm like you know, I'm not like some Pisces queen or cancer queen or, you know, have all the water signs or whatever. So I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Like, this just sounds so weird. Which like, someone heard me better. That makes you so much more relatable because like, I talk to myself, I'm like, I'm a Libra. I'm like, I'm all, you know, out there. Yeah. I talk to myself, but for someone that you like, that makes it so relatable to be like, I know that this sounds super weird and it, you know, doesn't really make sense to like talk to yourself in this way. But this yeah. is why it works. Yeah, because Capricorns need to see it to believe it. <laughs> we're, we're like very you need like the proof. <laughs> <laughs> me, I'm yeah, like, it's like show me the, the proof, and, and, and <laughs> yeah, like show me the proof, and then I'll add it to my five year plan. But like, I need to see the, the, the <laughs> totally. proof first. But like, <laughs> but it's so great. Um, so yeah, you are that way you're able to speak to it in such a like in a way that has so much conviction. Yeah, I mean, it is funny the number of clients that I have that are either. Virgos or less so Tauruses, but for, who are also like earthy and Capricorns, like it's that. So I guess I am speaking to just not not just, but like <laughs> it is kind of yeah. funny. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think I think though to to go back to your to question or to your question, I think what um you know someone in that position who's just like you know love's never gonna happen or like you know, this was, you know, why does this keep happening to me is, um, I think one thing that is really helpful is to jump on or work on jumping on to this belief that you were always doing the best you can, or you could. And so even if, for example, you stayed in a relationship for far too long and putting too long in, well, I didn't put in air quotes, but like, you know, that's a judgment, but mm-hmm. let's just say that's what you believe there's probably really good reasons you did. Like if you're married to the person, maybe you were afraid, um, you know, what your finances would be like if you left this person, or let's say you had kids with this person and you were afraid that there would be like this really horrible, nasty custody, you know, battle, or maybe you were afraid of what your community or your family would say if, if you left, or maybe there were really good moments that you were holding on to, and those good moments really fed into some of those inner child voids that we've been talking about. Like these are all good reasons. Uh, I don't really like the word, the the idea of good or bad, but like these are all very like legitimate reasons to stay in a relationship. Relationship, and so I think when you can just see like, oh, I was always doing the best I could, and the old tools that I learned you know, to handle difficult situations or when I have big emotions or I don't feel, you know, good enough or whatever, like I'm human, I'm doing the best I can and I can learn more so I can do better next time. I think that mindset shift really does open up somebody to the idea of like, okay, let's see what's going on with my 10 year old self or my eight year old self or whatever, you know, the age that's coming up. So let's do that. Let's do a practice that you walk your clients through because this is, I, I love this conversation because I am, I, I feel like I've been spending a lot of time with my teenager self lately. Like she's just been kind of snarky and just a little sassy and has been kind of like some temper tantrums over things that are like not a big deal at all. So I'm yeah. curious, you know, if someone comes to you and regardless if they're, it's talking about dating, but it, since it starts with the foundation of inner child work, walk me through a practice that you do with your clients. 
So actually what you just said, because you said she's snarky and then you said she's having temper tantrums over things that aren't big deals. Right. Um, so to me, like those were some key phrases that I, that I picked up on. And so actually, um, what I would do in that situation is I would say, okay, um, you know, I would, well, do you want to do it? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. All right. So, um, well, there's two parts of the exercise. The second part you'll probably want to do on your own because it's basically having a temper tantrum. But <laughs> it's so funny. Literally, right before we hit record, I was like, I'm just going to let myself have a five minute temper tantrum later. Yes, 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 yes. So, um, well, I just want to say one thing actually first before we do it. Um, so, anger, you're essentially getting to the emotion of anger, right? Like anytime there's like snarkiness or just being annoyed or frustrated or resentful or like screw everything. I don't know what emotion that is. Um, then the there's decaf. anger, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, there's, there's anger and anger is, um, it's a catalyst. Like it's not like a bad emotion. Um, and I think as women, we are, um, conditioned in our society to be very uncomfortable with anger or to believe that feeling anger, being angry is, is bad. It's like the low road or just take the high road and just water under the bridge or whatever, you know, but when we don't allow ourselves to feel our anger, then, I mean, a lot of things can happen, but one thing that can happen is it can one suppress all other emotions because suppressing anger is not easy. <laughs> um, and then the other thing is when we're not allowing ourselves to feel anger, then it really impedes on your ability to have boundaries and know what you need or don't need, right? Like if someone does something that's hurtful and I'm like, well, I'm just gonna, you know, take the high road or just let it go. Or like, maybe they're just having a bad day or whatever. I'm not asserting what I need mm -hmm. in that relationship, you know? And so, um, you know, like, look, if it's like, if, if it's like some, you know, asshole Starbucks line, you just want to like move on with your day, like whatever, that's fine. We don't have to like apply this work to like every single situation we're possibly in. But if it's someone that you're dating or in a relationship with, or even, or even a French French have a friendship with, and like, you're just constantly like, well, you know, whatever, it's okay. That relationship's going to be, I mean, at best, just kind of toxic. Mm -hmm. And then at worst it can get, you know, to some pretty dark places. Um, so, so one thing that I have clients do, in addition to inner child work is anger work. Um, anger is what can be, it, it's like I said, it's a catalyst. It can, it can create huge change. Like if you feel comfortable with your anger, then you can often be a lot better at having boundaries with other people in relationships. The other thing about anger is often underneath it is sadness and grief. And again, I know these are very two, un two uncomfortable emotions. Um, but a lot of times to really move past something, we actually have to grieve it. And I think a lot of times with grief, we think of it as like, Oh, you know, someone passed away. Yeah. I'm going to have, you know, I'm going to grieve, but a big part of inner child work is actually grieving. Um, you know, you might discover like, wow, I really didn't have the childhood I really deserved, or I really wanted, or I didn't have the, the mother or the relationship with my mom that I really would have liked either then or, or now. And there's a grief in that, but when you, and when you allow yourself to feel that grief, you move on or you can move on. Otherwise what ends up happening 
is you keep going back to the same person, hoping they'll be different, right? Like you keep going back to like, you know, trying to have that ideal of Instagram worthy relationship with mom, but then she just like says something that like knocks you down every single time. And you just keep reopening that wound over and over and over again. And so then you have this desire to, to heal it and to fill that void over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And this can create the pattern either with her or with someone that you're dating that you want to fill that void with. Um, so I kind of sidetracked there for a little bit because you just only because you mentioned anger and temper tantrum and all that stuff. So I wanted to make sure we talked about that because it's I'm, super important. It's very important. And I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think that's what is a, not a misconception, but I think that's what people get confused on with this work is how some emotions are umbrella emotions to like something that's going on underneath it. And they might yeah. seem unrelated, but they're absolutely all interconnected. And so like for me, yeah. a feeling that I've been battling. And I, like, it's so interesting as you're saying this, because I do notice anger. Sometimes I'm like all on like rage on the page, let it out. I do somatic release. And then other times, I guess I don't realize that it's anger until it starts to like really boil up. But I was totally that person. Yeah. I think that might've been a, you know, a way that I was a defense mechanism was just Brittany's fine. Like nothing bothers her. She can water under the bridge, just move on, let it go. And I used to really pride myself in that. And I think it has served me in a, in, you know, it it takes a lot. Like it really takes a lot to get me upset. Um, but then I wonder how much of that is just that like conditioning and how it, like it might do me a disservice. Cause sometimes I notice, and I notice this with my dog was so fascinating. Like I would get like so angry at him when I first got him for chewing something up or for barking or whatever. And I'd be like, Whoa, where, who, like, who is this person? What is that? And so I'm definitely much more aware of it. And now I'm a new mom and I am more onto myself about it when I'm feeling it. But I think it's like that next level of being like, okay, you can only push it down so much and it becomes kind of a little hot button. And so when something happens, and for me, it's been disappointment. That's what I've been grappling with. And when I say grappling, just avoiding it. (laughs) Yeah. Don't have time for that. Um, And that's, it's almost like this hot button where something happens and then the anger starts to well up and the frustration and everything just starts to like spill over and things that would never used to bother me or bother me. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, well, one, I think you know, it's like what I said earlier about like, if someone is being an asshole in the Starbucks line, like cuts in front of you, you know, I think, I think sometimes, um, people listen to this work, especially if they're just consuming it and not like interacting with it, like working with somebody, then I think one thing that I've noticed is that like, oh, these things apply all the time. Right. So sometimes like it is helpful just to see someone else's bad behavior and just send them a little bit of love, a little bit of compassion and know that that bad behavior is coming from a hurt place, like their own hurt inner child, whether it's like a coworker that you can't really do much about because you don't have the power to, you know, fire the person or move teams or whatever. Or if it's just someone, you know, road rate, like someone, you know, being an asshole in the car or again, line at Starbucks or whatever. Uh, sometimes it is just you know, helpful just to be like, I'm just gonna let this go. Right. Like it's not, I'm not this person's mom. I'm not this person's boss. Like I'm not going to change this behavior because we do have finite energy and bandwidth. And so it's important to be able to discern that. Um, at the same time, 
when it comes to more interpersonal relationships with people that we are working with a lot, whether, or if it's a little, little furry animal, <laughs> when we do notice ourselves, like just set getting set off, like so quickly, even if it has something to do with them, then yeah, I think it is worth looking at like, okay, so this thing that I used to pride myself or that I do pride myself on, I'm being able to just have water and put water on the bridge. Like, where is this a where is this a skill that it's actually helpful? And then where is this a skill that's actually, it's not so helpful. And I want to look at that and see how I can shift it. So I don't think it's like a blanket thing of like, oh, this is a good thing that I do, or this is a bad thing that I do. Because sometimes it can be really great to be able to just, you know, like my husband is terrible road rage. And I'm like, you got to come down a little bit. You know what I mean? Um, Yes. And, and, you know, for, I guess uh, to be fair, so do I, but like, (laughs) um, but at the same time, like, you know, that's not necessarily the trait you want to have within, you know, a partnership or a friendship or any other kind of relationship that you want to nurture and, um, and grow. So I love that. I love just the acknowledgement. It's like, not, it's not good or bad. It's just when it's helpful, when it's useful. And then when it's not, when it actually hinders your growth. Cause I think that's a part of it too, is if you don't address it and you're like, oh, am I just water under the bridge? So I'm not uncomfortable and I don't have to, you know, challenge myself here, or is it just not a big deal? So, so what's the first part of this work? So I come to you and I'm like, Veronica, I'm like, I'm having, I'm feeling very snarky. I am being incredibly hard on myself, very judgmental. I'm feeling, you know, this, I'm, I want to just like have a tantrum. Things are bothering me. What's the first part that you walk your clients through? So, um, so what I would do is I would have you and you can do this or you can, you know, just listen to the process depending on what you want to do and how personally when you get with your, with your audience. But first I would just have you close your eyes and just first, just settle into your body. Um, cause we can have a lot of judgment and just also just like with day-to-day stuff, just lots of things going through our head. So it's always important just to connect in and ground. Um, so I like just to feel my sit bones against whatever I'm sitting on. If I'm sitting on a chair, then my feet against the floor and just breathe for a few good moments, you know, at least, at least three solid breaths just to ground in and connect in. Um, and then you want to bring that snarky self or those feelings up to, you know, you actually want to surface them up. And I know these are feelings that you're like, not wanting to feel or seeing as like not helpful or quote unquote bad, um, but you actually want to bring them up so that we can work with them. And then you just ask yourself like, okay, what, what does this bring me back to? Or what do these feelings remind me of? So I know it's my teenage self. I've already established that. Does it go back to like a very specific memory? Sometimes it might, sometimes it might just be like, I don't know, these feelings feel like I'm 16. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you might ask yourself, okay, so what was going on at 16? What was she really feeling? And so you bring that either that specific memory or that version of, or whatever age of yourself into your mind's eye. And you just let her feel whatever she's feeling. You don't try to make it go away. You don't try to fix it. Um, You don't even try to like give her a pep talk or anything. You're just like, all right. 16 year old self. I, I see you. You're feeling snarky. You're feeling a little annoyed. You're feeling pissed off at the world. I'm just going to sit here and hold the space for you and let you feel whatever you need to feel. And this is where sometimes I just have clients stay here depending on, you know, what's going on for them. So 
some clients, they do this and they're just like, all the feelings are coming up, all the waterworks, all these like insights, connections, connecting the dots, like whatever, all, all coming up. And so for, for them, we can move on to the next step, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, for clients that are having a little bit more difficulty um, connecting with that version of themselves, then we just stay there. And there's no judgment. There's no pressure to like, I need to like empathize with this version of myself, or I need to hold the space better. or I need to feel her feelings better. It's just, we're just going to sit here and just see what happens. And by the way, having a picture of herself around that age helps too, mm-hmm. and yeah. some of those emotions. Yeah. Um, oh, that's so good. <laughs> I do that with my clients. I'm like, bring up that photo, like look yeah. at that version of yourself. I'm curious for the clients that have a hard time, like they, they don't know. Like for me, there's, I don't remember a lot from my childhood. Like I, yeah. very, I remember very little like specific memories. So yeah. when the client comes to you, that's like goes and drops in. Right. And it's like, okay, maybe it's a specific instance. Maybe, you know, it's a memory that you have, like when your client can't go there, how do you, how do you help them heal that part? Cause you know, is the, is the memory of it happening an important piece to the inner child work? So what's important is how it, what's actually more important than memory is what you made it mean. Mm. So it actually doesn't matter if what you're remembering is accurate and just based on brain science, what you're remembering probably isn't accurate. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's just like, we we remember things completely wrong and just have no freaking clue. Um, I read lots of stuff about this and it's, it's weird actually. (laughs) It's very weird. I, Um, I agree with that. There was just a um, a new series podcast, The Coldest Case in shoot, sometime in the Wyoming, Wyoming. And basically like the whole like ending of the podcast was like, well, everyone got it wrong. No one remembered anything, <laughs> you know? So anyways, um, so you're probably going to not, so don't worry about like, well, this actually happened like this or like that. Um, what matters is what you made it mean. Mm -hmm. And you might, and what also happens a lot is your adult self will look back at the memory and be like, well, yeah, you know, my dad never came to my soccer games and it really hurt my feelings. And it really made me feel unloved because all the other dads were there. But, you know, I just, I know now that he was just working two jobs so that he could, you know, pay for, you know, food on the table, roof over our head. And for those very soccer lessons that I was taking, right? Like your adult self can rationalize things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, like that's not what your 10 year old self made it mean. And so that's what you have to focus on, like regardless of what you know to be true or not sure about whether or not it's true right now. Um, The other thing is you only need one memory. This is not therapy where you're like rehashing and talking through everything. You just need one memory. And then the final thing I'll say is if you don't have any memories, but you know that like your 15 year old self is snarky. It's like, well, how do you know that your 15 year old self was snarky? Like what was going on? Like big picture, where were you living? Who are the adults living in your house? What was your relationship like with those adults that were living in your house? Did you get along with them? Did you get along with your siblings? Were you generally happy growing up? Did you generally feel like you could, um, be yourself around your parent or whatever, you know, you just ask yourself these bigger questions because I think you actually do remember more than you think you do from, for the most part. Um, 
but you might have to just ask yourself more basic questions versus like, well, what happened at that dance <laughs> or that, you know, recital or whatever. You may not remember those details and it doesn't, it doesn't matter. But if you know that you weren't happy or you felt alone in your childhood, how do you know that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then start from there. That makes so much sense. Cause it's like, it is so fascinating. Cause it's like, you can't pinpoint it, but you, it's the meaning that you gave it. And then that becomes the story yeah. that you tell about yourself. So yeah. that's the first, the part. story is what matters more than anything else. And that's really what we're going for. Right. It's like, what did making it mean? What that story is. So that's the first yeah. part is go there. And that's, you know, for me, at least I, my brain always wants to rationalize. It's like, well, of course that happened, but this is what you went through that. So you could get to this, like, it's always trying to, you know, wash over. And I think that's where I, sometimes it's so easy for me to like pop pause because my rational brain, my adult brain just wants to be like, yeah, and it's okay. And like, just quickly move through it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and that's, and that's the value of like doing inner child work. Like, you know what I'm doing with my clients? Cause they'll do that, <laughs> you know, either while we're in an inner child work session or after we come out of it and we're debriefing it, they'll say, well, you know, like, da, 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 da. and I'm like, okay, let's just stop that. I'm like, right. this is not an exercise to criticize your parents as parents or humans or anything like that. This is just what happened. And this is what you made it mean. It can literally be that neutral about it. Mm-hmm. And so it is important to catch yourself. If you start feeling, um, guilty, some people do, especially if they have good relationships with their parents now, or if their adult selves can really understand the struggle that their parents might've been going through at the time. Um, or, you know, whatever, or whenever the rational brain starts coming in again, like, like, like I was saying earlier, like the rational brain's not bad. Sometimes you want it. And sometimes like inner child work, it's not the place for it. And so yeah, you just, you, you know, say, have to, okay, you have to, you know, we're good. <laughs> and because that's why I think what stops a lot of the inner child healing is that when the yeah. rational brain wants to come in and be like, everything's fine. We got this now. Look, look at where we are now. Look how amazing everything is. Cause there's still that part yeah. of you that. Is- yeah. And that's a form of emotional suppression, right? Like, mm-hmm. and I think it's important to name that because we can easily identify other forms like, Oh, I feel like garbage. I'm going to go turn on Netflix and drink wine or, Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, you know, buy $500 in shoes or whatever, like, um, and trying to just like, Oh, it was, it's fine now. Water under the bridge. Like I made it through, like all of that is also forms of emotional suppression. And for all the things or reasons I talked about earlier around suppressing anger or sadness or whatever, it really makes it hard to, move past it or find where your boundaries are, you know, or things like that. So I know it's not like the most comfortable thing in the world to like, let's talk about hard things or let's feel our cold emotions, but, um, it's so worth it. It's so worth it. So worth it. Oh, that is so fascinating. I have never considered that to be a way, cause that's like, I call it buffering when we suppress or we try to eject out of, um, the difficult emotions. I never considered positive thinking or just like what, like water under the bridge. I never consider that a buffer, but it totally is as you just explained it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I do just want to say one thing I've been kind of skirting around it, but not specifically like a lot of my people, and I, I don't know about your people, um, have listened or also consumed content around manifesting or law of attraction or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that content either gets mistaught or misinterpreted as like high vibe, low vibe kind of feelings. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you have, you have to, cause it's another block that I've noticed a lot with like anger work and inner child work and all that stuff mm-hmm. is like, you know, like, oh, I don't want to feel this, or I don't want to go there because these are negative feelings or, or bad feelings. Um, and you know, I don't have to tell you why they're not negative or bad. Cause we've been talking about that this whole time already, but, um, I just want to say that I don't think there's such thing as good or bad emotions, good or bad, like energy or whatever. It's all like, you know, there's emotions that we want to feel there's emotions that we don't want to feel, but even the ones we don't have, don't want to feel have a lot of, healing power. And and in fact, like, you know, when things are going well, like things are going well, you know, um, it's, it, you don't always necessarily have like the motivation to like, okay, let me connect with 10 year old self, or let me do my meditations or like whatever else your like habits are. But when, you know, when, when things are feeling a little bit more difficult or you're feeling some more difficult emotions, the goal isn't to just like snap out of it, but like often those can catalyze you to do some work. Um, most of your listeners are probably listening to this because something happened. Like there probably was some catalyst in their life that was like, I need to Google this. And then they land on your podcast. And I know that's how a lot of people find, found my podcast. Like they went through a big breakup or just had like this horrible relationship experience or whatever. And they're like looking for stuff. Right. So, so you're, it's all just, a, you know, and, and also the other thing I'll say is like, as humans, we learn through contrast. And so we know what joy is because we know what sadness is. Um, and so it's just part of the human experience to feel uncomfortable emotions and you signed up to be a human (laughs) in some way. (laughs) So it's just part of the contract. (laughs) with The deal. Yeah. This is what we signed up for and we're in it. And I love that because it's, that is a being a human is the 50, the contrast, the 50% negative and the 50% positive emotion. That's mm-hmm. just what it means to be alive. So after yeah. you walk through, you know, those asking those questions, and I think those questions are just so powerful because it will help uncover. And then you sounds like you debrief and you, you know, make the connections. And instead of just being like, yeah, everything's great now, just honoring and acknowledging. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's a, it's a validation process of like, yeah, that is what, like, that's what you made that mean. That's been the story. So what's the next yeah. part after that? So the part after that then is, is reparenting. And this is basically when you either tell your inner child what she needed to hear at the time or help her to feel what she needed to feel at the time, or you didn't get that support from another grown up in the, in the space. Um, and ultimately the goal is for this to become the habit in which you, in the way you talk to yourself. Mm. So we all are always talking to ourselves. We all have some sort of inner dialogue and, you know, going back to inner critic, a lot of times it is in more of that fashion. <laughs> um, and so the, the ultimate goal is you do inner child work enough so that, you know, when you have a difficult emotion or when something you know, less than ideal happens, or you're going through something difficult or whatever, that your, your, your initial impulse is to talk to yourself, mm-hmm. you know, in that kind of compassionate, kind, loving way, because you will make different choices and, um, create different story 
about what's going on um, in that moment and which will have future impact. So for example, let's say um, you're dating someone new and you really like them. And then all of a sudden they're like, eh, I don't really see this going anywhere. And they break up with you and you didn't see that coming. So if you're talking from the more inner critic perspective, I'm like, what's wrong with me? Why does this always happen to me? It must be because like, I don't know, I'm getting older or I have wrinkles or I look fat or whatever, right? Like that's the, that might be your default mode now. Whereas the reparenting is like, okay, this does not feel great. This hurts. I did not see this coming. I thought he was into me. I'm just going to let myself have some space to feel sad and to feel whatever else I need. I'm going to journal a little bit and I'm going to get through this, but it's okay. Right. So one is just honoring the feelings that you feel and, and, and holding space for that. And one is like, what's wrong with you? Why'd you do that? Or what did you do wrong or, or whatever. Right. And so when you, so you can, you can see like, you know, there's these potential scenarios and the way you, the way you talk to yourself and you can see how then if you're in scenario a, where you're talking to yourself through the inner critic, then when you go to date again, whether you're meeting someone online or offline, doesn't matter, you're going to have a little bit more guardedness around you. And you're going to be a little bit more like, is this person going to be like the last person? Um, and you're going to make more fear-based decisions as opposed to intuitive-based decisions. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be willing to be as vulnerable. And like, by the way, it's your job to be vulnerable as much as it is the other person's job to be vulnerable. I don't mean like airing all your dirty laundry, but like just saying like, hey, I'm really excited to meet you. I've been looking forward to this. Something like that, like is appropriate level of vulnerability for like a first date, right? Mm-hmm. Um but it's going to be really hard for you to be in that space if the inner critic has been leading how you go through difficult situations, breakups, et cetera. Um, whereas if you're reparenting yourself through the process, then you're going to be able to trust yourself more, trust whatever happens is meant to be, um, you know, trust that you'll be able to get through whatever happens to you. So you're going to be in a place where you're more willing and open to make intuitive based decisions, as well as just be more open and vulnerable. And I know a lot of times people, especially women who I primarily work with, um, uh, and many of them are straight, uh, really like to complain that men aren't emotionally available or whatever. But a lot of times like women aren't emotionally available. It just might look a little bit different, um, because, you know, of all of this hurt and pain, they've just really shut themselves down and they just put the whole responsibility on the other person. Like you proved to me that you're not an asshole like everybody else. And then, <laughs> and then I'll, I'll think about being, <laughs> yeah. And like, unfortunately it just doesn't really work like that most of the time. Oh, that is so, so good, Veronica. It's so true because how many times are yeah. like, oh, he's just not emotionally available. It's like, well, are you? Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. And like, and the thing is, is that like, if you're not really emotionally available, the chances are the person you're dating is not emotionally available either, but it's not because of like some law of attraction, like attracts light kind of thing. Like m- maybe, I mean, I don't really think so. I don't really buy into that. Um, what I think it's more of that is that that person just feels more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've coached women who, you know, they want, you know, an emotionally open, vulnerable relationship with someone. Um, and then they finally meet someone like that and they're like, this is weird. This, yeah. I don't know what to do. Or it feels boring. Me. Cause it's not like the hot, cold, hot, cold. Yeah. Um, like the chaos. And, and so, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and so, um, uh, and, and so, yeah, like 
if you suspect the other person is emotionally unavailable, it's like, yeah, okay, fine. That's probably true, but you might be too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's so fascinating because the, that repair it's so it's the reparenting is, is truly just the habit of how you speak to yourself. So with yes. the correct container and support, it, it's impossible. I think it's impossible to do by yourself because you can't see what, like there's certain blocks that you have that someone else that's not in the experience can help show you. Uh, but then over time, yeah. when you do this world work enough, then it becomes a habit. And I just, I love thinking about the reparenting as a habit of how you speak to yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like a, okay, we're going to do inner child work for three weeks and then you'll be good. Right. right. No, it's, it's, it's ongoing until it just becomes the yeah. default, which it's, it's yeah. challenging because our default's just negative. And it's that, that what's wrong with you. I mean, is that just the universal just response? I mean, I can hear my, I can hear my mom's voice when I ask myself that what's wrong with you. And I hear yeah. it a lot, not just my mom. I hear people say it all the time. What's the matter with you? Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. it's so interesting because now it's like, it kind of triggers me because I'm so aware of it. Because when you yeah. ask yourself that question, your brain's like, well, let me tell you all the things that are wrong and terrible. As yeah. A yeah. Well, I do know, like, so when I, when I, after I first had my, my son, I had really bad postpartum, uh, uh, anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so, and so I, um, I started working with a new therapist then, and she's been great. I've actually, this was a couple of years ago and I'm still working with her. She's wonderful. Anyway. So one thing that she said is that the brain is wired to look out for fear or look out for like dangerous things. Mm, all the time. <laughs> right. And so the, the thing is, is that like, you know, we're, we're not, we, we, we don't like live in the same time where it's, there's no like saber tooth tigers or like the traditional predators or, you know, you know, normal things that humans might fear. Like we're talking about like prehistoric humans. Um, but our, but, but our brains will still see other stimuli in our environment. And we're just like constantly looking for the fear. So having your, 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 like the, the way you relate to yourself as a re reparent in the, in, in reparenting, it's not the way your brain is wired to be. So you're not going to be perfect. I've been doing this work for a long time. And like, I do not talk to myself in a reparenting kind of way hundred percent of the time. Mm -hmm. I'm like happy if I can do a 70% of the time <laughs> or at least that other 30%, I can catch myself and like, Oh, look at me being an asshole to myself. And I say, good job, Veronica. You were doing a good job being an asshole to yourself. And I know that, um, sounds a little trite or silly, but that's actually kind of the point. Yeah. Um, because, because then what can happen is like, Oh God, inner critic, I'm being hard on myself. And then you can like criticize yourself for that. And then it just spirals and spins and you're judging out yourself for not doing a good enough job of repairing. Exactly. Yourself, exactly. And the cycle continues. <laughs> right. But if instead you're like, dang, I'm really being mean to myself and I'm doing a pretty good job of it. Like, right. it sounds kind of silly and like, it kind of makes you giggle for a second. Totally. Um, and, and that, and that humor can like, oh, oh. <laughs> can be enough to snap oh. you out of it. Or okay. if, if I'm just like really in a bad place, I can be like, you know what? I'm just being an asshole to myself and I'm owning it, you know, but it, but even then like the cycle still, or the spiral isn't really there because I'm not beating myself up for not talking to myself the way I'm supposed to be talking or whatever. Um, so I just always like to remind people of this, like your brain wants to be an autopilot. And this is again, not a bad thing. Like if we had to consciously think about like brushing our teeth, like my son's almost three, 
and it's really hard for him to brush his teeth. Like if it was going to be like that for the rest of his life, like he would have a hard time doing other things because so much energy is going into these basic tasks that we do and don't even think about, mm-hmm. right. Um, or like driving to work, like all these other things. Um, and so, so all of this stuff is not really how the brain is wired. So it's hard. It's not like, I always say it's not rocket science hard and that it's complicated, but it's just hard. And that like, it just becomes a practice and we constantly have to be kind to ourselves and remind ourselves of this new way, this different way. Um, and then just go back to being kind to ourselves when we don't do it. Always. It's like, that's the, the, the foundation of it. So your work, you know, you, you help people with relationships and, and dating, but ultimately it's like that relationship with yourself is what exactly makes the relationship work with yes. someone else. And that's, that's the big secret. That's <laughs> right. Really that's, secret. <laughs> I mean, it's the secret, not the secret, you know, when people are like, Oh my God, I, no one has changed in my life. And all of a sudden I, my relationships are transforming. And it's like, that is just so powerful. It is so powerful yeah. to just be able to recognize that is like, if you want to date and, and have great relationships, it's like working on that relationship with yourself. But the funny thing is being in relationship with someone else, whether you're dating or you've been with someone for a long time, or even if you're newly single, it's so triggering. <laughs> like It's like, let's just dig up all of the stuff. And I know. It, it's the invitation. I mean, the, the triggers are the invitation, right. To heal, to yeah. heal and your relationship with yourself so that you can have relationship with other people. Oh my gosh. I could talk to you forever. This is so fun chatting with you. I just appreciate you so much. And the work that you're doing is so important. And I just, everything that you're sharing, I see so much of myself and like my journey with relationships, because man, five years ago, I, I couldn't even imagine being in a healthy, thriving relationship like I am today. And I know that it's a product of changing the relationship with myself. So it makes me emotional because what you're doing is transforming people's lives. So thank you so much. Is there anything you want to share before we wrap up? Um, you mean in terms of like where to find or any final thoughts, uh, final thoughts, and then where to find you and yeah, how okay. they, we talked about your podcast, but where they can connect with you. Yeah. So my, well, my final, my final thought is, oh, I used to have a really good final thought that I can't remember what it was, um, <laughs> that I always would share on podcasts, but, um, you know, I think that, Oh, I know what it was. Now it's coming back to me. So my favorite final thought to leave people with is to do what you want when it comes to dating relationships. And I know that sounds like what, huh? But a lot of times when people are Googling what to do about this situation and this relationship or how to get this person to text me back or whatever, then they end up finding a lot of dating rules like, oh, don't text back too soon or don't do this or don't sleep with the person too soon or whatever. And there's like all these freaking rules. And, um, those rules were written by someone else based on their own viewpoint and values and their experience and all that kind of stuff. And, um, when you can just, when you just do what you want said, you're always going to win. And what I mean by that is you're either going to win in that, like the other person's going to be like, Oh, this person actually likes me. I can actually open up too. And then it's great. Cause then you get what you wanted or, you do what you want, meaning like you text the person back and you say, Hey, I had a really nice time. would love to see you again. And they're like, meh, not so into it. I know that feels like a loss because, you know, now that's, now we're at the beginning of the end of that relationship or just the end. 
Um, but then you just get out of it sooner and you don't waste as much time or energy or emotion. So like you always win by doing what you want. Like, mm-hmm. like if you texting someone back less than three hours or, um, saying or, or, or like asking the man on the date or whatever it is, like all these no-nos, I'm putting that in air quotes. Um, <laughs> you know, if, if any of that is like, what did you win in that relationship? That relationship is either not for you or just not going to last. Um, so just do what you want. Like if, if you have an intuitive, like feeling to reach out to that person and say, Hey, I'd love to see you again. Or, Hey, I really like you or swipe right. Or this is my boundary. This is what I need. This is how I feel. I love you. Like whatever it is, then just freaking do it. And I know again, the short-term outcome may not be what you want, but long-term you'll always win. You, will, I, um, that's a beautiful last thought. So good. Where can people find you? <laughs> this is so amazing. Um, yeah. So the best places to find me, I have a podcast called the love life connection, and I actually coach women on that podcast. So if you are interested in hearing inner child work and action and how it, you know, it could work. And if you wanted to do coaching, but then if you want to listen to it first, um, then the podcast is great. And you can find that wherever you're listening to this, I, I guess, unless you're listening in your Facebook group, but awesome. <laughs> anywhere else it's available. Um, and then I have an, an emotional availability assessment, um, which is kind of what it sounds like. It's assessing your emotional availability. It's like those, you know, like from Cosmo where you like tally up your score and then depending on what your score, I have some next yes. steps for you. Um, and you can grab that over at veronicagrant.com forward slash assessment. Awesome. So great. Well, I'll make sure that's in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time. This was wonderful and loved chatting with you about all things inner child work, reparenting with so much value. So I appreciate you so, so much. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me.